because Jill is going to Claypool in um, South Bend to preach. She was invited to preach, and Pastor Matt Hamilton, who is going to preach, is um, filling Jill's spot, and he is celebrating his 20th wedding anniversary this weekend. I would like to welcome you all to worship, and for those of you who are joining us via the live stream, I would invite you once again to light a candle to remind you of the presence of God, just as we are reminded of that here. So will you join me in the call to worship? The law of the Lord is perfect, receiving the soul, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, and lightening the eyes. The ordinances of the Lord are to be more desired than gold. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. O Lord, our God and our Redeemer, please stand for our hymn of praise or worship the King. into our prayers and your justice into our deeds. 
Let this time of worship be a holy moment where the frayed edges of our lives are woven into a beautiful tapestry that comforts and blesses, inspires and renews. God of infinite tenderness and strong compassion, weave your love into our service of praise. Amen.
that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. We are thankful for the gift of Christian Amen. Good morning. Welcome again to Noblesville First. I'm Matt Hantelman, one of the pastors here at Noblesville First, and I have not been married for 20 years. <laughs> Going up on 14 this week, this year, which is very exciting for me. It is Pastor Jerry celebrating his 20-year anniversary, so if you have a way and you'd like to contact him and sending him well wishes, feel, please feel free to do so. He's down in Florida this week, visiting with our snowbirds down there. Well, I'm glad you've joined us for worship this morning. We're, this week we're continuing our series on trick questions, which are questions asked to Jesus in order to trip him up or create confusion in his message. This morning, as you heard in our scripture passage, our question circles around divorce. So Jesus had entered Judea from Galilee, and while there, amongst the crowd, some Pharisees approached. Matthew tells us that they asked him a question in order to test him. But why? Why is this question posed to Jesus about divorce a test? One of the things about the Gospel of Matthew that we should understand is that, is that it was written to a primarily Jewish audience, specifically Jewish people from the middle of the first century. And those Jews probably picked up more knowledge of the culture they lived in on a weekly or maybe even a daily basis than we have now in total. So it is important to remember just how little we understand about those times. And even what we do understand in its majority is only, only understood by a small contingency of scholars and people who study this for a living. So whenever we come to a passage like this, it is a good idea to try and paint a picture of what is going on to the best of our ability to get a glimpse of what Matthew's readers would have known simply by living in that time. So in this time, there were two primary schools of thought, of Jewish thought, each of which followed a guru or a rabbi. Now, we know the word rabbi. We understand it to be a Jewish teacher of the law, kind of like a pastor. That definition of rabbi didn't actually start until about 60 years after this time that we're, that we're talking about today. So the idea of a formalized schooling process and all of that didn't exist. So when we say rabbi now, we're talking about someone who gained a following simply because of their understanding and teachings about the Torah. This was somebody who built a following by saying something novel or something very, very not novel. And so, naturally, two schools of thought came out of this. And generally speaking, the Jewish people followed one or the other. From a rabbi perspective, you either, you either followed Shammai or you followed Hillel. They both had their own ways of interpreting the Torah, as well as the Mishnah, which was kind of the oral law that helped describe the Torah and explain it. And these two were commonly at odds with each other, with one taking a much stricter interpretation and sometimes making sure that you follow the letter of the law exactly as the words say, and the other was trying to interpret more based on the spirit of the law, but sometimes leaving behind the original language. And if you were Jewish, which Matthew's audience and the crowds around Jesus were, 
you would not only be familiar with Hillel and Shammai, but you would have picked a side. You would follow one or the other and likely be maybe a little bit aggressive towards people who believed the other side because they were wrong and you were right. And that's why this is a test. Because in the eyes of the Pharisees, Jesus only has a few options of how he can answer this question. If he answers strictly, agreeing with the letter of the law, allowing men to divorce for any reason they see fit, then he's siding with Hillel. And all of those in the crowd who follow Shammai will automatically turn against him, hurting his following. If he instead is more lenient with the words and interprets it more based on the spirit of the law, saying no divorce should be more restrictive, then he'll side with Shammai, and he'll ostracize the Hillel followers. And if he says you shouldn't divorce at all, then everyone will be upset, because now he's not following Moses. And Moses is the be-all, end-all. He's the rule. He's it. And so we come to this question from our 21st century mindset, and we'll likely miss the huge weight this question holds in this crowd. This today might be more akin to somebody coming up to a popular person in a crowd and loudly asking, hey, are you a Republican or a Democrat? Because the question itself is a trap. No matter how you answer, you're going to turn about half the crowd against you. And so the Pharisees are doing this to Jesus. They are trying to trap him into turning away about half his followers. And throughout the trick questions Jesus is asked, he typically will find a way to answer that, one, doesn't directly answer the question being asked, but instead shifts the question to one that is worth answering. And two, doesn't ostracize anyone, but except maybe the question asker. And we see a similar pattern here. The question comes, does the law allow a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Spoiler alert. It does, if you just read the words. And Jesus answers with a question. How very Jesus of him. He says, haven't you read at the beginning? Here Jesus is doing another very Jewish thing, which is to assume and live under the knowledge that things that came before are built upon. So things, books of the Torah, for instance, that came after other books are building on that first book. So Jesus says to the Pharisees and to the crowd, the law was only able to be written on the shoulders of Genesis. You only get Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy if Genesis happened, if we have the original Jewish fathers, Abraham and Jacob, and we have the creation story. And so he goes back to Genesis and says, well, haven't you heard? It was written that the that two become one flesh. And then Jesus expounds on Genesis saying, humans must not pull apart what God has put together. Owing to the belief that God is a part of joining and consecrating marriages. So up to this point, the conversation is, hey, Jesus, who do you side with on the divorce argument? Shammai or Hillel? And Jesus is responding, if, you go, if I take you back before the law, you'll see we shouldn't be having a debate about divorce at all. Because you shouldn't be talking about how to legislate taking apart what God put together. 
And then the Pharisees whip out their trump card and say, but Moses said, Moses is the guy, right? You can't argue with Moses. He's the one who gave us the law. And the Pharisees know the law backwards and forwards and are ready even when Jesus throws them a curveball. Remember the spoiler that I gave you from earlier, that the law does indeed say a man can divorce his wife for practically anything? And I mean that literally, because instead of giving reasons why you can divorce your wife, it instead gives two reasons you can't. Every other reason is permissible, except for these two. More on those later. So the Pharisees say, why did Moses say we could get a divorce? And Jesus digs right in with them, and realistically is kind of rude, maybe even a little bit nasty with his response. He says, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives because your hearts are unyielding. But it wasn't that way from the beginning. I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Think about that for a minute. Jesus literally is saying the only reason the law was written the way it was was because you couldn't handle it being more strict than that. Can you imagine my pastor saying like, something like that today? Oh, sure, the Bible says it that way. But the only reason it says that is because you couldn't handle it any other way. But God never intended it to be that way. Jesus again ties it back to Genesis, saying it wasn't that way from the beginning. So Jesus has a retort for the Pharisees. But then the question that I always have here is, okay, the Pharisees got put in their place, but what's the crowd thinking at this point? Or the disciples that were following Jesus? The verse we stopped at actually leaves out some important information, because if we go one more verse to verse 10, the disciples say, if that's the way things are between a man and a wife, then it's better not to marry. If I can't divorce my wife for any reason I want, then it's just better to stay single. That was the response of Jesus' followers, which should tell us a lot about the prevailing thoughts that played out in that time. Now, I originally had this passage in my sermon as a, that's how it was, and it's different than it is now. And then last night, I was reading the news and I read an article about India. India is currently in the process of codifying into law the prohibition of marital rape. Currently, their law says any sex in marriage is automatically consensual, regardless of how it comes about. And they're trying to change that. And the men in India are boycotting marriage over this thought over the fact that they can't just have sex with their wives for any time they feel like it. Society hasn't changed that much in the 2,000 years since Jesus' day. So Jesus comes and says, the prevailing thought is divorce for any reason. I say, no, that's not the case. Whatever God put together, don't let people rend asunder. As you hear it sometimes in a wedding. And that settles it for us too then, right? Just like in Jesus' day, the prevailing thought was that you should be able to divorce for any reason. Jesus says no. Case closed. 
Except it's not settled. Well, I don't think it is. I, I will say that whenever I'm preaching a passage like this, I always try to take part of my sermon preparation time and read other pastors and what they have preached on a passage like this. And for many, that's true. The buck stops here. Jesus has spoken. We should be listening. Case closed. And I'll say that's about half true for me in a passage like this. And here's why. The divorce that Jesus was talking about is nothing like the divorce we have today. Which means what he says doesn't necessarily apply to the divorce that we have today. And here's what I mean. I want you to listen carefully again to what Jesus said. He said, I say to you that whoever divorces his wife. Do you hear it? It's a super important distinction. In the times of Jesus and before that, women could not divorce their husbands. They literally didn't have the legal power to do so. They couldn't do it. And if a man divorced his wife, she immediately became tainted goods. And would have a hard time getting by, not just finding another husband, but getting by in life in general without a man to take care of her. Remember those two reasons you couldn't divorce your wife I mentioned earlier? They are both connected to a wife's virginity. If you somehow taint your wife's pre-marriage status as a virgin, either by raping her, at which point you were forced to marry her, or falsely claiming she wasn't a virgin before marriage, you were legally prohibited from ever divorcing her. Because if you did, no one would want her. That's the commonly accepted interpretation of the law. This is the world that Jesus is teaching into. One where wives were barely one step above property. The laws then about divorce that Jesus is setting forth and interpreting were not about the same divorce we talk about today. They were about not leaving women out on the street and destitute just because a man felt like. That's why Jesus is stricter than Hillel, and likely stricter than Shammai as well. Because it was about the ways communities had to live together and cared for each other as much as it was about what God was joining together. I've literally heard Christian people say that a woman should not divorce her husband if he is abusive, because Jesus said that only sexual immorality is the reason. That is said in Christian churches in this country. But according to Jesus and everyone in Jesus' day, women could not file for divorce, period. So either, let's go all the way, I'm really hoping nobody in here agrees with me on that one, or we have to realize that this is not the same divorce we're talking about. Jesus' words cannot be directly prescriptive to us today because the divorce he's talking about and the marriage he is talking about is not what we have today. It doesn't exist. Now, I personally do believe that Christian marriage is a sacred covenant between two people and God. And yes, I said two people, not a man and a woman, 
on purpose. I believe marriage is never something to be flippant about. And avenues like counseling and therapy should be pursued in situations where harm is not present. What I do not believe, and what I would caution you against believing, is that Jesus was talking about what we think of as divorce in this passage. There's so much Jewish culture baked into these statements that we do not live in. Now, that doesn't mean, again, in my opinion, that we should just ignore passages like this. I think we can draw incredible wisdom and knowledge from a passage like this. Things like how to deal with difficult and trick questions. Jesus repeatedly shows us how to engage with people asking questions for the sole purpose of creating division by instead engaging them with dialogue, answering questions with other questions, and generally helping people to see what the core concept truly is, the love of God. Or wisdom about how to bring the biblical law back to the root of a loving, creative, grace and mercy-filled God. Jesus does this elsewhere in Matthew where he answered the question about the greatest commandment. So many questions Jesus has asked, he answers with questions. But not this one. In fact, it seems like there is little hesitation in Jesus on this one when they say, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love God. And the second is like it, love people. And then, going back to that thing we talked about with things that come before, hang and build, he says, all the law and all the prophets hang, literally dangle, from these two. He says, no matter what you're doing, no matter how you're interpreting, if you can't get it back all the way to love God, love people, you're doing it wrong. Something has messed up in the chain of interpretation, because that's the thing everything has to hang on. So no, you can't just divorce your wife if you feel like you leave her on the street, because that doesn't go back to love God, love people. You're missing the point. And the law was only written that way because your hearts couldn't handle it. There's also wisdom to be found in how lovingly harsh, how to be lovingly harsh in reproaching those people looking for loopholes in wording to circumvent the sole overarching theme throughout the scripture that God is love. And finally, for this morning, there's wisdom in realizing that it takes a lot of study to actually dig into the context and the culture of what is happening in the Bible, and we should always be wary of anyone including ourselves, just taking the surface-level understanding of its words. I hope this morning is both unsettling and encouraging. Unsettling in perhaps realizing that much of what we have claimed to understand about the simple, straightforward words of Scripture may very well have missed the point entirely, and encouraging in that at the end of the day, living in God's kingdom can truly be 
as simple as framing everything in how it comes back to love God, love others. As always, I'm aware that I have likely said some controversial things this morning. <laughs> some things that some of you may disagree with. And that's okay. It's allowed. As we learned, the disciples who followed Jesus had a very different view of what they were thinking the culture should have been and the law should have been than even Jesus did. And they stuck with it. They stuck around. They questioned. They dialogued. And I invite the same for you. If you have an issue with something I said, let me know. I'd love to talk through it with you. I'd love to figure out how we can be in loving community together, even if that means we stay with different beliefs. That's allowed. None of us have it fully figured out. We're all in this together. Amen. So what is happening with the pipe organ, you might ask? Well, thanks for asking. <clears throat> Jeff and I have had discussions with the Reynolds Organ Company about the configuration of the pipe organ chambers, which are where the pipes are on either side of the cross here, having to do with positioning for optimum sound production and blend. Discussions have taken place about the design, orientation, and orientation of the exposed pipes that will adorn the front of the sanctuary on either side of the cross. The wind chest is what our 2,000 pipes will be sitting in, wind chests. The wind chest and the pipe layouts have been designed and construction will start soon. The 1,000 or so pipes that are being constructed in the Czech, in the Czech Republic are progressing well. 
there are some concerns about getting some materials, especially wood, and especially since this wood uh, that we use comes from the Baltic states area of Europe. Now the good news is that Thad Reynolds had insight to this, and he ordered three pallets, three pallet loads of wood, and placed the preliminary order for the pipes when we finalized the contract. Not when we signed it, that was about three months later. When we finalized the contract, he put in the preliminary order, so we're a little bit ahead of the game. In fact, they recently received two of the three pallets of wood. Thad says, now we can start construction. Aluminum and copper are also in short supply, but Reynolds has great confidence that they will have what they need when they need it. Now, I don't know about you, but this is all getting me a little excited. At last, after three years, finally starting to see real things happening. So to me, that's really exciting. Most of the construction will take place in Reynolds shop in Marion and with the installation starting here in our church somewhere around the end of the year, actually after Christmas. And completion schedule for the spring of 2023. We'll keep you informed about future progress and major developments. If you have any questions, please contact either Dr. Wright or myself. So thank you and God bless you. Thank you for that update. We appreciate it as we come to that time when we're going to give our offering after we hear some announcements. Um, I want to remind you that the Indiana Pacers are hosting um, Faith and Fellowship Night as they take on the Cleveland Cavaliers on Friday, February 11th at 7 p.m. at Bainbridge Fieldhouse. Included with the mission is a 45-minute concert following the game featuring Christian music artist Jonathan McReynolds. In addition, get a Pacers hat, a voucher for a hot dog, chips, and Pepsi product. And see the Noblesville students highlighted on the LED ribbon board at halftime. For more details, click on noblesvillefirst.com slash Pacers. We will be hosting a blood drive um, this coming Monday, January 24th, tomorrow, from 2 to 6 p.m. So if you're eligible to donate, we ask that you would come and do that due to the low blood supply. And all people who donate will receive a $20 e-gift card and a free pair of branded socks as a thank you for donating. You can go today if you would like to see what the times are at noblesvillefirst.com to sign up. All 6th through 12th graders and their friends are invited for the relaunch of our weekly youth group, which starts this evening in the Vine from 6 to 8 p.m., and you will get to know um, the youth director, David McKenzie, as they enjoy fun and fellowship as they gather together, and they will have a preview of their upcoming um, Study Woodlawn Students. It's called the Woodlawn Student Study Series. That intrigues me. I have no idea what that's about. <laughs> we also invite you to visit noblesvillefirst.com and click the Next Steps graphic to register your attendance. 
to give online, request a prayer, and to link opportunities to volunteer, study, and connect. And if you are visiting for the first time today, either in person or online, please reach out to our hospitality coordinator, Pam Kaplinger. She'll be, well, she won't be out in the hall after worship because she's actually preaching in the celebration hall services today. So, but you can reach out to her at um, pkaplinger at noblesvillefirst.com. And now as we prepare to take up our offering, let us pray to the Lord. Oh God, we hear about the cost of discipleship. Nothing less than our whole life is required. We dedicate these gifts in response to Christ's call and offer ourselves in full commitment. Take us and mold us according to your will. We pray that who we are may be acceptable, that what we may do may be what you would have us to do, and that which we give will reflect your love.
Good morning. We'd like to share some prayer concerns and joys with you this morning. This morning we join Amber Good and her family in lifting up Joe Rosengarten, who's having an angiogram and he, to find out if he's a candidate for open heart surgery later on. So please pray for Joe. We also like to lift up the health for Nancy Anderson. She fell just recently and had a shoulder injury. So she too must go see an orthopedic surgeon in the next day or so to see what the next best steps are for Nancy. We also ask that you please join Pam Kopp and her family in prayers for their daughter, Carla, who is now facing stage four colon and liver cancer. Please extend prayers and condolences to Emma St. Dennis and her family at the passing of their son-in-law, Stephen Ronald Perchel, on Friday, January 14th. Stephen leaves behind several family members, including a 12-year-old son, Beau. Matthew's Mortuary in Brownsburg, Indiana, is in charge of final arrangements. Details and memorials for a college fund for Beau can be found on the Mortuary's website. We celebrate the joy of having a God that wants to have a binding and caring relationship with us, no matter what our circumstances are. And we celebrate the joy also that Pastor Jerry and Nancy Reardon made it safe to Florida and are now ministering to our snowbirds in Florida. God speak to both of you. Please share your prayer concerns using the website link to the prayer requests or use your Noblesville First app where the prayer request form is also available. And you can contact your pastoral care team for upcoming surgeries or pastoral needs at care at noblesvillefirst.com or the 24-7 care line at 317-773-2590.
please join me in a call to prayer. God of healing and hope, we pray for our neighborhoods and for our nation, where people are divided and bitterness turns into resentment. Show us how to work for reconciliation. Inspire us to care for the vulnerable and share your peace with the broken and hurting. As we recover from these many months of the pandemic, make us ambassadors of hope for all who need your healing touch. May your light and love shine through us always. Amen. Now please join us in a moment of silent prayer followed by a pastoral prayer, and then we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, and by most Holy Spirit, we thank you for the snowflakes, every single one with its own unique design. That's like all of us too, Jesus. We were all made in your image, God, but we each have a unique design too. Please help us to remember, Lord, that Holy Spirit gave each of us different spiritual gifts, each unique and made to glorify you. Guide us to use our gifts wisely and carefully to help each other and not as a weapon against one another. As broken as we are, we are precious in your sight. We are your children, and so grateful for your love, poured out to us through your Son, our Redeemer and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you also for the Lord's Prayer that we say together now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
because you have lifted your prayers to God, and because you have heard the word of God to show us how to bring justice into the world, go forth in the name of that creator, that redeemer, and that sustainer to live in love with one another. Amen.